Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome and thank you for joining the Adidas AG Q1 2022 conference call. Throughout today's recorded presentation, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. The presentation will be followed by a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, you may press star followed by one on your touchdown telephone. Please press the star key followed by zero for operator assistance. I would now like to turn the conference over to Sebastian Steffen, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thanks very much, Natalie, and uh, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, everyone, wherever you're joining us virtually today, and welcome to our Q1 results release conference call. Our presenters today are our CEO, Kaspar Rosted, and our CFO, Harm Olmeyer. As always, we will kick it off with their prepared remarks, and we will have enough time afterwards for your questions. As always, I would like to ask you that during the Q&A session, you limit your initial questions to two in order to allow as many people as possible to ask their questions. And now, without any further ado, over to you, Kasper. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much, Sebastian, and welcome to everybody from my side also. And welcome to our first quarter you know, 2022 call. I'll take you through the business update. As always, the same will harm when it comes to the financial update, and I will give you the outlook, and then we'll be happy to take any questions you may have. So let's get started. The reality is that we're operating in a very dynamic environment with heightened uncertainty. The devastating war in Ukraine, a continued challenging market environment in greater China, COVID-19-related restrictions in the East, supply chain challenges, and inflationary pressure left their mark on our first quarter results, and they will continue to be leaving their mark on our business in 2022. Against this current negative industry backdrop, we remain committed to focus on the things we can control, actively manage our growth levels to drive top-line expansion and market share gains, all with the consumer at the heart of everything we do. We're tackling these supply and demand challenges decisively with committed with a committed team of more than 60,000 employees. With Own the Game, we believe we have the right strategy in place, playing to the structural growth drivers in a, in a highly attractive industry. Together, we'll continue to diligently execute our game plan. Before I provide you with a detailed Q1 business update, let me briefly share some key takeaways up front. Brand strength and the success of recent product launches drove strong underlying momentum in all Western markets in Q1, which combined grew 13%. This is the highest growth rate in Western markets since Q1 2017. In the East, businesses across all industries are heavily impacted by the most recent widespread COVID-19-related lockdowns, now affecting 45 large cities in China. This is no different for us, and as a result, we now expect revenues in greater China to decline significantly in 2022. At the same time, the original growth targets for EMEA, North America, Latin America, and Asia-Pacific which combined represent more than 80% of our business are confirmed and well underpinned by an extraordinary strong order book. And let me repeat, we expect more than 80% of the business to grow strong double digit in 2022. And while remaining agile, we will not jeopardize sustainable growth for short-term profit optimization. We are well positioned to accelerate our growth and gain market share in this attractive industry in 2022 and beyond. I said it before, the consumer remains at, heart, at the heart of everything we do. So let me provide you with some highlights from the first quarter. We continued our Impossible as Nothing campaign with the announcement of our biggest ever commitment to women, Impossible. 
In women's, we disrupted the marketplace with our bra revolution offering and a corresponding campaign which generated 90% positive sentiment on social media. In football, we introduced the Real Madrid Wire 3-kit with 100% sellout. The inline Predator grew strong double-digit with more than 40% growth, and we revealed the Arela, the official FIFA World Cup match ball. In lifestyle, we broadened our franchise portfolio originals and introduced Retrophy, Astair, and Oswald in the DSC approach. Many of you have, have seen it at our Innovation Day in March, and I'll further elaborate on, on it when I discuss the outlook. Our innovation pipeline is filled with strong product newness, and we remain very excited about everything that is yet to come. <clears throat> and let me speak about our strategic enablers in detail. Technical running innovation led by the Adizero franchise continued to deliver what matters most wins. Adidas athletes, Pierce and Evans, just won the Boston Marathon. We also secured the number one spot for both men and women at the New York Half Marathon, so that's four out of four. At the same time, we continued premiumization of our lifestyle offering with additional collabs. Media rightfully called our latest partnership with Gucci the most exciting collab of 2022, while our existing portfolio with Yeezy, Ivy Park, Y3, and Prada performed strongly. We have more than 20 Halo store openings planned for 2022 to elevate the physical consumer experience. Our brand new store in Tokyo is the latest addition. And in sustainability, we focus on bold storytelling as we scale our commercial offer. We create a full-size sustainable tennis court in the middle of the Great Barrier Reef, generating headlines globally around the Australian Open. Now turning to the strengths and weaknesses of the first quarter. We saw strong momentum in North America with 13% growth, EMEA including Russia with 9%, and Latin America with 38% growth. Our D2C first approach continues to deliver strong results as we elevate consumer experience, and this is reflected in double-digit increases in both EMEA and North America. We are rooted in sport and saw double-digit growth in our performance category driven by football, outdoor, and running. And we continue to invest into several brain campaigns the support of new product launches as well as into our D2C business and digital capabilities. Industry-wide supply chain constraints continue to impact our top-line trajectory, with production outage and shipping delays still causing a significant drag on net sales development, particularly affecting EMEA and North America. In the East, sales declined in Greater China with 35% in Asia-Pacific with 16 as we continue to face challenging market environments, lockdown, and difficult prior year comparables, particularly in the case of Greater China. In addition, significantly higher supply chain costs and unfavorable mix effects masked our underlying gross margin improvement. Tom will comment on this in more detail later. Let's have a brief look at the P&L. In total, industry-wide supply chain constraints reduced revenue growth by around $400 million in the first quarter of 2022. As a result, revenue declined minus 3% currency neutral while being up 1% in euro terms. Excluding the external drag, our top-line growth would have been in the mid-single digits. Significantly higher full-price sales were more than offset by higher supply chain costs, bringing our gross margin down to 49.9. Our operating profit came in at $437 million, reflecting $200 million of additional investment into the brand, as well as D2C and digital. Net income, continued, net income from continued operations was €310 million Euros as a result of the pressure gross margins, as well as increased investments. Again, I will leave it to Ham to comment in more detail on major P&L development in a few minutes. 
In Greater China, as already mentioned, the continued challenging market environment, COVID-19-related lockdowns in the country, as well as difficult prior-year comparables, weighed on the revenue development in this market. We'll have a closer look at the current situation in China later in my presentation. We saw in North America strong growth in DTC of more than 20%, and it speaks for how well our products resonate with the consumers in the market. The overall increase was driven by high single-digit growth in lifestyle and mid-teens growth in performance, the latter mainly due to exceptional increases in football and outdoor. In EMEA, we saw double-digit growth in B2C, 12% year-over-year, mainly driven by exceptional increases in own retail. From a category standpoint, increases were driven by double-digit growth in all performance categories, while lifestyle started to benefit from releases of new football franchises and related hype clubs. Now let me underline what I briefly mentioned before. The majority of our markets are strong growth momentum in Q1, EMEA, North America, and Latin America. Currency neutral sales in our Western markets combined increased 13% in the first quarter, despite being supply constrained. This is a clear proof for the continued strong demand for our brand and products. From a channel perspective, we saw a double-digit increase in own retail growth in EMEA, North America and Latin America, driven by a strong sell-through of new product launches and an elevated consumer experience across our own consumer touchpoint. In e-commerce, revenue grew strong, double digits in North America, reflecting the lowest level of markdowns ever in the market, while our global full price share was up by 11 percentage points. Overall, e-com increased 2 percentage points versus the exceptional high growth in the prior year period, reflecting growth of 50 percent versus Q1 2020. Our D2C mindset continues to be best represented in our membership approach. With the rebranding to Addict Club, we successfully expanded our value proposition for now more than 250 members globally. From a category perspective, football increased exceptionally with 31% driven by the latest iterations of our new key football franchises, Predator, X and Copper, as well as the launch of the official FIFA World Cup match ball. Outdoor continued its strong trajectory mainly driven by increases in technical apparel. In addition, running increased driven by football newness such as the Ultraboost 22 and Eddystar, as well as the broadening of the solar franchise with the introduction of Solar Glide. Within Lifestyle, latest additions to our partnership portfolio elevate our premium product offering. At the same time, existing collaborations such as Yeezy continues to drive strong double-digit growth with a constant release of high products. And Ham will give you the details our financials before I'll be back with exciting upcoming product releases in our Outlook data. And now over to Ham. Thank you, Kasper. Let's take a closer look at the markets as our top line development in the first quarter of 22 was still impacted by external challenges on both supply and demand. As in Q4 of last year, Western markets continue to show strong momentum with combined currency neutral sales growing 13% despite supply chain constraints as a result of last year's lockdowns in Vietnam, reducing our top line by around 400 million euro. Let me pause here for a second for an important comment. The fact that the impact in Q1 was lower than expected, so 400 million instead of 600 million euro, does not mean that we got the product any faster. In fact, the opposite is true. Due to the longer lead times, product deliveries are even more delayed than anticipated and will thus also impact our business in Q2. The good news is that we were able to better compensate the lack of products sourced in Vietnam by selling more of what we have. This is another clear proof point of the momentum 
that we are enjoying in the Western markets. Revenues in EMEA, North America, and Latin America grew 9, 17, and 38% respectively, driven by increases in both wholesale and direct-to-consumer, despite the negative impact from Vietnam we just mentioned. We will have a closer look at the underlying growth on the next slide. Furthermore, all of the Western markets recorded another quarter with an operating margin close to or above 20%. In Greater China and Asia-Pacific, the continued challenging market environment, as well as COVID-19-related lockdowns, continue to weigh on the top line, resulting in net sales declines of 35% for China and 16% for Asia-Pacific, respectively. Given another quarter with top line being impacted by supply chain constraints, I'd like to give you some more information on the underlying growth momentum, in particular for EMEA and North America. As you can see on the graphic on the upper right-hand side of the chart, EMEA was impacted the most, with more than 400 million total negative impact attributable to the particular strategic growth market in Q1. The majority of the remainder hit North America. So if you have a look at the underlying growth momentum, excluding the negative impact in both regions, EMEA grew 20%, while North America even showed an increase of 24%. This clearly shows that brand momentum and demand in both of our strategic growth markets in the West are well intact and explains our optimism for the remainder of the year. Let's now turn to the company P&L. As a result of supply chain constraints, our currency neutral revenues declined 3% in the quarter, while being up 1% in reported terms. Our gross margin declined 1.9 percentage points to 49.9%. I will provide details on the development and drivers in a second. Other operating expenses increased 10% to $2.3 billion, reflecting additional investment into several brand campaigns and the support of new product launches, as well as into our D2C business and digital capabilities. As a consequence, marketing and point-of-sale expenses were up 19% compared to the prior year period, while operating overheads increased by 7%. Our operating profit declined 38% to €437 Euro as a result of the gross margin decline in the investments I just described. The number includes other operating income of around €20 million Euro related to the Reebok divestiture. As you know, we expect roughly 70% of last year's rented cost to be eliminated this year. Obviously, with the closing of the transaction having occurred at the end of February, Q1 only reflects one month of this. You should expect the amount to increase accordingly in the next three quarters. Our operating margin decreased 5.1 percentage points to 8.2%, and net income from continuing operations was 310 million euro in the quarter. Let's now take a closer look at the gross margin development in the first quarter of 2022. I would like to explain the main drivers. As expected, we saw a positive impact from pricing. This reflects less promotional activities as well as selective price increases on D2C exclusives previously announced. As a result, we saw ASP increasing at double-digit rates in many of our markets, in North America even by almost 20% across our own channel. On the negative side, we had an unfavorable mix effect, mainly due to the already mentioned sales decline in China in combination with tough prior year comparables in our e-commerce business. Lastly, and in line with our expectations, we experienced a significant increase in sourcing and freight costs, in total an additional 200 million euro just in Q1. 
which we are not yet able to compensate by the selective price increases introduced in our D2C business. As previously communicated, we expect to see broad-based price increases in the mid to high single-digit range only in the second half of the year, which will then balance out the negative impact from higher sourcing and freight cost for the year as a whole. Talking about phasing of the respective gross margin drivers for the remainder of the year, let's take an even closer look at it. First, on sourcing. As previously communicated, we expect supply chain costs to rise strongly in fiscal year 2022. Our freight cost per unit alone will double in 22. This assumption was already confirmed in Q1, and we expect this development to continue throughout the following quarters. Second, on mix. The sales decline in China is also anticipated to still drag down the combined channel and market mix in the second quarter. In the second half of the year, we expect the mix effect to turn positive, driven by sequential improvement in China, combined with strong growth in e-commerce. As a result, the overall mix effect on our gross margin for fiscal year 22 is now expected to be neutral. At the beginning of the year, we were still planning with a significant positive mix impact on our margin. Third, on FX. After a flattish development in Q1 due to the impact from the unhedged portion of our currency exposure, we expect to benefit from a meaningful tailwind for more favorable hedging rates during the remainder of the year. This should lead to an overall positive impact from foreign exchange on our gross margin for fiscal year 2022. Last but not least on pricing, as planned and announced in March, we started in selective price increases of D2C exclusive products in the first quarter, and will continue with that in Q2. The gross margin development in the second half will then benefit from broad-based price increases at the mid to high single digit rate on average. For fiscal year 22 and total, we expect a significant positive impact from price increases in our gross margin development. Now turning to the balance sheet. Inventories were up 12% currency neutral. Normally, I would feel good about this level of growth, but given that too much of the product continues to be in transit and seeing the demand out there, I would like to see a stronger increase here. And while we still will be somewhat supply constrained in Q2, we expect to have all the product we need to cater for our growth ambition in the second half. If necessary, we could even compromise working capital optimization for top-line growth and market share gains. Receivables increased 13% currency neutral, reflecting the strong sales growth in Western markets. And payables were up 29% currency neutral, driven by significantly higher sourcing volume in anticipation of the strong growth we're expecting in the second half of the year. So overall, average operating working capital decreased 3.3 percentage points to 20.4% in Q1-22 and 23.7% in Q1-21. Talking about elevated transit times, I would now like to have a look at the inventory composition in a bit more detail. Due to the overall supply chain disruptions and the factory shutdowns in Vietnam last year, we saw a strong increase in lead time. And of course, the port congestions are contributing to that as well. At the end of March 22, still only around 60% of all goods were goods on hand, whereas the rest was in transit, a significant difference compared to the same period in 2021. In markets that are particularly impacted by the supply chain constraints, namely EMEA and North America, goods on hand represented only 57% and 51% respectively. This clearly underlines 
how much these two markets have been impacted by the lack of product. While we expect the situation to improve in the course of the year for Q2, we still anticipate an impact of around 200 million from last year's lockdown in Vietnam, but no major impact beyond. Before I hand back over to Kasper, let me briefly provide you with an update on our attractive shareholder returns, another important part of our Own the Game strategy. Until 2025, we plan to return between 8 and 9 billion euro to our shareholders via regular dividend payments and share buyback programs. This will be completed by or complemented by returns related to the proceeds of the Reebok divestiture. Let us go through this piece by piece. We already announced our intention to return up to 3.1 billion to our shareholders in 22. Of these 3.1 billion, we already completed a regular 1 billion share buyback tranche at the end of February. In addition, we will pay out our dividend in May, which represents another 600 million. These regular payouts will be complemented by an additional share buyback program of up to 1.5 billion until the end of Q3 to return the cash proceeds from Reebok divestiture. Until today, we have already completed more than a third of the total amount. Again, this share buyback comes on top of the 8 to 9 billion from Own the Game. The remaining amount of between 4.8 to 5.8 billion will be distributed to our shareholders in the years to come via share buybacks of up to 3 billion as well as the regular dividend payments of between 30 to 50% of our annual net income from continuing operations. And with that, back to you, Kasper. Thank you very much, Ham. Our approach is going forward, clear. We'll be focusing on leveraging new product drops, our 5,000 brand partners across performance and lifestyle, as well as key events to drive brand heat and top line expansion. As we are still operating in a challenging market environment, particularly in China, we remain focused on the levels we can control and are working diligently on executing our comprehensive action plan in the market. At the same time, we are dedicating attention and resource resources to accelerate the strong underlying momentum in all Western markets, as well as the return to growth in Asia-Pacific. Ultimately, we have to stay focused on our strategic objective in an environment that continues to be characterized by severe external challenges. While remaining agile will not jeopardize long-term growth for short-term profit optimization. I have just said it. We have what it takes to further accelerate our brand momentum. 2022 is a year of sport with major events coming up in the next few months. Adidas will continue to be the front and center of all of these big events. We always promise to deliver louder and prouder storytelling. We dedicate the next chapter of our Impossible as Nothing campaign to sustainability in the upcoming Run for the Oceans. At the end of the day, it all comes down to product. We continue to bring strong product newness to the market as we unveil our elevated offer across categories on a constant basis. The best is yet to come, and I'm excited to share key highlights for the next weeks and months. We are building on the exceptional growth in football, 31% in the first quarter, and just launched a diamond edge pack for our key franchises, Toyota, X, and Coffa. We're excited about the upcoming UEFA Champions League with Adidas partners Real Madrid and Jurgen Klopp. And Juventus' latest fourth jersey is a prime example of product Nunes bringing football and street art together. In running, I've always reiterated, iterated the importance of bringing the credibility earned through wins at the, major, uh, at the world's major races to the everyday athlete. 
After the launch of SolarGlide earlier this year, we continue to scale and diversify our running offer at more commercial price points. The latest iteration of our Solar Nova franchise does exactly this at a 100 euro price point. Run for the Oceans will be back at the end of this month, and for the first time since 2019, we will be bringing back a number of physical events at several of our locations. What started some years ago with a few thousand participants is being scaled to the most exclusive, inclusive community for millions of runners. We are all united in sharing a common goal. Together, we can help in plastic waste. Outdoors continuing its growth trajectory as we introduced latest iterations of successful technical footwear franchises such as Agrivic. The Agrivic Flow 2 caters to everyone looking to enjoy dry feet and a super light feel moving from road to trail and back. And leveraging the success of our disruptive bribery revolution campaign and product offer, we continue to double down on women with the introduction of a dedicated yoga range. While launched with a women's-led campaign, the high-performance collections made in part with Party Ocean Plastic is offered at various price points and also available for men. By introducing sportswear as a third consumer-facing proposition, focused on comfort and style, we can expand our reach as a brand while at the same time be more focused on the consumer. In Q2, we'll be pre-launching sportswear with an aspirational capsule collection. The creation will spark consumer excitement ahead of the main, main launch later this year. Originals and long-term partner Parley for the, you know, for the Oceans return with a collection of iconic styles from the Superstar to the Sam Smith, the Nizza to the Forum, and many more. Each sneaker in this collection has been made for the yarn, which contains at least 50% Parley Ocean plastic. The other 50% of the yarn is recycled polyester. Last, but certainly not least, we are scaling the all-new NMDS1 with new iterations and collaborations, bringing a completely new look and feel to sneakerheads globally. The ride represents a hiking-inspired boot stemming from Pharrell Williams' appreciation for the outdoors. Launched DGC exclusive, this boot is the very first of many more NMD drops still to come this year. Now turning to China. While I had mentioned the challenging market environment before, let me provide you with some proof points on what this means in detail. We're seeing the worst COVID-19 outbreak ever, with daily cases reaching four times the level than during the initial Wuhan outbreak. 45 cities are currently in lockdown, directly or indirectly, representing around 40% of Chinese GDP. In total, more than 180 million people in China are directly impacted by the lockdowns. As a result, around 25% of our own stores and about 15% of our partner stores are currently closed. Given the severity of the situation, a sudden rebound seems unlikely as drastic countermeasures such as strict lockdowns and containment measures are leading to a significant drop in consumer spending. Sentiment is heavily affected with retail traffic declining significantly, even as if in cities not directly impacted by countermeasures. In Shenzhen, which had been a lockdown in early March, traffic in April was still down more than 20%. Traffic in Shanghai, which represents around 10% of our Chinese business, was down 100% in April, while Beijing approaching similar levels as of late. In addition, contrary to the initial COVID-19 outbreak back in 2020, we are currently not observing a spike in our income channel. 
while hype releases continue to sell through well, our inline business is somewhat more impacted by the negative consumer sentiment. Lastly, the industry is still facing excess inventory in the marketplace, resulting in an imbalance of sell-out and sell-in. Overall, challenges are severe and we are focusing diligently on the things that we can control as a brand and together with our strong team on the ground. We are doing everything in our control to get through the current lockdown as good as possible. We focus on driving consumer engagement, conversion and employee well-being. We are thoroughly managing excess product and support our franchise partners as they also suffer from limited self-rule. In order to clear excess inventory, both our own and what we're taking back from our partners, we're executing special sales events. In addition, we're offering additional incentives to drive sellout. Online, we're driving sales through increased live commerce activities in both our own stores as well as together with our partners. We launched a digital Oswald campaign on key social media platforms, specifically targeted at lockdown behavior. And as a result, search volume on e-commerce increased more than 25% supporting key franchise demand and sales rule. And last, but certainly not least, the health and safety of our employees has and will always be the number one priority. Accordingly, we offer comprehensive assistance programs, including food supply packs or online gym classes to help people exercise. And while all of these levers are pulled as we speak to tackle the current lockdowns, they of course also tie in closely to our existing action plan. We continue to execute our action plan and we're making progress on key levers identified. One, strengthen our brand heat. Two, create more commercial impact. Three, improve the range and activation plan. Four, optimize our store network. And five, take excess product, excess product out of the market. To maximize our impact, we decided to double down on selected initiatives. First, we are leveraging our China for China product creation team to drive newness in key footwear franchises. This is absolutely critical for our future success in China as it enables us to quickly react to trends in the marketplace and win with the young Chinese consumers. Secondly, we are strengthening our local storytelling. Our current Chinese New Year and our Impossible campaign are great examples of that with ne nearly 4 billion impressions they generated and 90% positive sentiment on our social channels reached. We have strong proof points that our approach is starting to pay off. Third, we established a program to review and elevate the retail experience while implementing measures for tactical traffic generation where the situation allows. Fourth, we continue to leverage our most loyal consumers through our experience-led membership program. During both Chinese New Year and I'm Impossible campaigns, we are actively engaging with more than 30 million members. Fifth, we're driving in-season sell-through. And lastly, we remain committed to thoroughly managing our discounting and pricing framework. While all of our focus initiatives are targeted to create an uh, immediate impact, positive impact, they will further be complemented by impactful actions to connect with consumers in a post-lockdown area. Moving to the other markets, consumer demand for our products in North America is stronger than ever. We want to double down on the extremely positive market backdrop and remain focused on driving brand momentum through the diligent execution of our game plan. The increase of our women's business across all strategic growth categories remain a priority. We continue to drive the business support by a broadened and improved range and inclusive storytelling. Our brow revolution and the campaign around it definitely moved us to the next level. 
In addition to major product launches such as upcoming NMD, E3, Ivy Park and Yeezy Drops, we're looking forward to launch our new consumer proposition in sportswear and basketball later this year. At the same time, it is imperative to maximize the channel opportunity. With our DTC first mindset, we're elevating the physical retail experience to drive traffic and conversion while investing in digital to enable the next generation, next level of personalization. Membership still represents a significant uh, opportunity in North America as we grow our revamped partner program uh, at E-Club. In wholesale, we focus on winning key selling moments around back to school and holiday seasons and take full advantage of the restocking opportunity. Driven by our improved product offering across both performance and lifestyle categories, we will significantly increase our market share with our key alliance partners such as Dix with focus on soccer and American football, KD with a focus on lifestyle, footwear, apparel, and footlocker. And talking about footlocker, I'm happy to announce that we just entered into a three-year strategic partnership with Footlocker. This partnership will pave the way to nearly triple the respective revenues for both companies across all Footlocker banners in North America, EMEA, and Asia Pacific to more than two billion sales at retail value by 2025. In 2022, we already expect up to 100 million incremental net sales from the new partnership. And let me briefly walk you through the pillars of this collaboration. Footlocker is to become Adidas' lead partner for basketball, spanning the lifestyle and performance category. At the same time, both companies will drive and expand Adidas' original key franchises and high products. Footlocker will also play a prominent role in the launch of our new sportswear offering. In order to elevate the consumer experience, both in store and online, we'll provide Footlocker with a dedicated team to create demand and elevate the marketplace. This will involve partnerships on product development and will ultimately result in an elevated premium presence of the three stripes across Footlocker's entire portfolio of banners with a focus on key cities that both our companies serve. Lastly, to provide consumers with a seamless consumer journey on and offline, both partners will increase their digital focus and accelerate the rollout of the Adidas Partner Program at Footlocker. I'm sure this elevated partnership will enable consumers to experience the Adidas brand, our product franchises, and innovations stronger than ever. Now turning to EMEA. Our strong innovation pipeline and bold brand campaigns will fuel the acceleration of the top-line momentum in this market as well. And let me give you a couple of examples. To increase traction in key cities, Paris, London, Dubai, and Berlin, we're dedicating additional resources to culture marketing. Key cities remain amplifiers of trends where the experience comes to life and where we connect best with our consumers. All of our strategic growth categories will play a key role here. In lifestyle, we're driving hype to scale with key collabs such as Gucci, Prada, Nietzsche, and Y3. In running, we'll build our comprehensive portfolio across all consumer needs and price points. In football, we're leveraging the consumer excitement leading up to key events like the UEFA Women's Euro or the FIFA World Cup. In outdoor, product range will cater even stronger to the need of the fast-growing group of urban outdoor consumers. We'll double down on e-com and implement our innovative home of sport retail concept. In the digital space, our revamped Eddy Club membership program is off to a great start as well as we have introduced new benefits like the redemption of points for exclusive events and onboard additional countries. While our DTC focus remains key to own the game, we are increasingly allocate, we are increasing allocations and resources for strategic wholesale accounts like JD, Footlogger, Salando, and ASOS to drive significantly market share gains. 
So the building blocks for our top-line acceleration in 2022 should be clear. We'll, continue, we'll build and continue strong underlying momentum, particularly in Western markets. You have seen in today's presentation also live at the Innovation Day in March, we have exciting pipeline of new and innovative products that will spark consumer excitement and will support our top-line development. We'll also continue to leverage major sporting events such as the Women's Euro and, the, of course, the FIFA World Cup in Q4. While over the past six months we haven't been able to deliver the requested volumes to our wholesale partners, starting in Q3, the supplier products will no longer be constrained. This provides a meaningful restocking opportunity for us, and we're going to take advantage of it. On the back of increasing brand heat and a strong product pipeline, we are strengthening our partnership with strategic accounts in Western markets to drive significant share gains. Summing all of it up, we have what it takes to drive strong growth in wholesale and B2C by converting our extraordinary strong order book and exciting the consumer with our elevated consumer experience, both online and offline. And it is these building blocks I've just talked about that will help us drive significant top-line acceleration quarter by quarter starting in Q2. Based on the strong momentum experienced in Q1 already and driven by all the exciting product launches, campaigns, and events, we are expecting growth in all our Western markets to accelerate in the second quarter. In addition, our business in Asia-Pacific will return to growth trajectory given an improvement market backdrop and supported by easier comps. And this means that while revenue in China are expected to develop broadly in line with the first quarter, we expect market representation of more than 80% of the business to grow at double digit in Q2. And as a result, uh, as a company, we will return to growth in the second quarter despite the continued sales decline in China and the negative impact from supply chain constraints in the amount of around $200 million. I've talked about the net sales impact from supply chain constraints in Vietnam before. Let me now put these into context of our expected quarterly top-line development for the full year. Back in March, we initially expected this negative impact to be around 600 million in Q1 2022. Now we know that the lack of product due to last year's lockdown in Vietnam reduced our top line by 400 million in Q1, while we expect another 200 million negative impact to our net sales in Q2. So overall, the negative impact will remain around 600 million, but the distribution over the quarter will be different than initially expected as we are facing additional shipping delays. After Q2 2022, However, we do not expect any major impact from the Vietnam capacity loss. So what does that mean for the quarterly top-line development going forward? As mentioned before, we will return to growth in the second quarter, and April was a good start as all our Western markets, as well as APEC, accelerated their growth compared to the first quarter. In the second half of the year, we expect st strong growth of more than 20%, which is underpinned by an extraordinarily strong order book. In total, our order book shows broad-based strength in North America, EMEA, Latin America, and Asia-Pacific. It is up more than 20% across these markets, with a strong acceleration as the year progresses, reflecting the facing and scaling of some of our newly introduced products like NMD, Sportswear, Gucci, as well as the timing of events like the FIFA World Cup. Of course, we know that under, under the impression of the recent supply chain shortages, retailers tend to order a bit more than normal, but rest assured, We've analyzed our order book diligently and adjusted it for this effect in order to get a realistic picture. And even this adjusted order book looks extremely strong and is ahead of our growth expectations for our markets. As a result, we're not only confirming our growth expectations for EMEA, North America, Asia Pacific, and Latin America. 
We believe that the strong underlying momentum in all Western markets and the return to double-digit growth in the company's Asia-Pacific region will allow us to almost fully compensate the lockdown-related revenue decline in Greater China. As a result, despite the significant headwind coming, coming our way from China, we're confirming our 2022 top-line guidance at the lower end. At the same time, we're updating our gross margin guidance to reflect the less favorable market mix due to the significantly lower than expected revenue contribution from Greater China. We will nevertheless continue to invest into the brand, its products, our D2C business, and our digital capabilities to support the top-line acceleration in our Western markets and Asia-Pacific in 2022 and to secure long-term market share gains around the globe. Therefore, we also expect the operating margin to come in lower than initial planned. As a result, we are confirming our net income guidance, which is now, however, anticipated to reach the lower end of the previously communicated range between 1.8 and 1.9 billion. And since you're going to ask anyway, this outlook is, of course, based on several assumptions regarding the development of the business in China. Firstly, we expect the steady recovery from the negative impact of the geopolitical situation to continue. Secondly, we are assuming no lockdowns in major cities as of the third quarter. And thirdly, we are expecting sequential improvement from the strong double-digit traffic declining to two during the second half. However, we still expect at the end of the year traffic to be down significantly compared to the levels in early 2021. Before I come to my summary, let me iterate that in this environment characterized by severe external challenges, it's imperative to stay focused on our long-term objectives. While we remain agile to manage the challenges we are being confronted with, we will not jeopardize our long-term growth opportunity for short-term profit optimization. We are not compromising on the long-term development of our company. Our 2025 financial targets remain as it is. Until 2025, we still expect our net sales growth at a CAC of 8 to 10%, with 2022 expected to be above this corridor. Gross margin is expected to reach a level of between 2053 and 55%, and our operating margin a level between 12 and 14%. Our net income from continuing operations is forecasted to grow at a CACA of between 16 and 18 percent. And also here, our guidance for 2022 with a net income increase of more than 20 percent lies above this long-term growth ambition. The achievement of these targets will be supported by less dependency on just one or two markets, but instead a much more balanced top and bottom line contribution across all our markets going forward. This makes us less vulnerable to local challenges like the one we experiencing in China right now. To sum it up, the launch of innovative products will continue to drive strong demand in our Western markets and will help us to return to growth in Asia-Pacific in the second quarter. We have various building blocks in place that will accelerate our top-line momentum going forward. We will also continue to tackle the industry-wide demand and supply challenges by thoroughly executing action plan. In a nutshell, 2022 will be a successful second year of own the game with top and bottom-line growth above our long-term targets. Tom and I will be happy to take any questions you may have. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time we will begin the question and answer session. Anyone who wishes to ask a question may press star followed by one on the touchdown telephone. If you wish to remove yourself from the question queue, you may press star followed by two. If you are using speaker equipment today, please lift the handset before making your selections. Anyone who has a question may press star followed by one at this time. One moment. For the first question, please.
And the first question is in the line of Warwick Arkhines from the Anti-Coribus exam. Please go ahead. Well, thanks very much. Um, I've got two questions. The, the first is on um, on your price increases thus far. I appreciate you've only made some, some small changes so far. But have you seen any volume impact when you've taken up your E2C prices since March? Uh, and secondly, on China, uh, I was just wondering when you talked about your activities to, um, to stimulate the market, um, how should we think about the, the WeChat live streaming um, that you've ramped up? Does that, does that tell us that you're more comfortable with the geopolitical situation? Uh, and if I could also ask about other activities, how big are the inventory takebacks that you mentioned? Yeah, thanks, Warwick. I start with the price increases that we have done in the uh, first quarter already on our E2C, you know, only, and uh, we really don't see an impact there. You saw the e-commerce, you know, growing only 2%, but uh, that's, the, you know, comp versus last year where we still were largely lockdowns. But from a sales rule point of view, uh, we do not see an impact from the consumer, especially in, in Europe and North America. So it's definitely steady state. And again, it's more the impact not having enough inventory that that's more the defective, but uh, definitely no impact on price increase. That's why we're also optimistically going into the second half when we go more broad-based. Thank you. And on China? Uh, what we are seeing in China, we are seeing, uh, I would say, more balanced landscape when it comes to social media, and we have been able to expand that, and we've also engaged in TikTok. Uh, and uh, one of the consequences of the current lockdown could probably be that the focus on uh, uh, on having a mobile marketplace might come back. Uh, so right now we are seeing from our side an increased uh, activity uh, on social media. We have not uh, quantified uh, the uh, takebacks, but of course they will be significant as you can expect, because right now we can see the trading volume is down 35%, and I think that's pretty much given the market. You can see one of our competitors are seeing a similar thing, and we want to make sure that we continue to do it as, as we speak so we don't have a problem that actually will accumulate. But we don't specify the number. What we specify was the guidance for the second quarter, which will be in the similar size, around the 35% as you saw in the, saw in the first quarter. Thank you. The next question is in the line of Adam Koshrein from Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for taking the questions. Um, the first question is um, a financial one. In terms of you uh, lowered the, the sales, um, lowered the, the margin guidance, but the, the net income is going to be sort of broadly in the same region. Can you just give us the, the balancing pieces between the, the lower EBIT and the, and the net income, please? And then secondly, what are your assumptions on a, on a consumer slowdown in, in Europe or the U.S. within the second half? And if this does happen to be the case, what, what measures can you take to, uh, given your sort of you know, higher plans for sales growth, if the consumer is a bit weaker? Thanks. So of course, we look upon how the current market outlook is, and we have not seen any slowdown, and I think that's the important part. So we, as we said, uh, we have seen accelerated trading in the second quarter, uh, and uh, we also believe that uh, the products we have actually are at a price point, which are probably not the most relevant when it comes to savings. I think probably electronics or, or, or travel is the same. Uh, so, and uh, particularly in a number of countries, we're seeing acceleration. We're not seeing a de you know, you know, de deceleration. 
So, of course, we look upon alternative plans, but I do think it's important to look upon you know, the overall situation in a balanced way, and that's why we went out and actually confirmed the outlook for, for uh, you know, 7% or 80% of our business. And that is the current view we have of it, despite, despite the current trading environment, we're actually seeing a pickup. Uh, so right now we're trading ahead of the curve and we believe that overall it's a balanced outlook. Of course, if the world falls apart, the world falls apart. But I think we need to, need to look upon it and nobody would have, I would say, expected that we'd be trading at 38% in Latin America in the first quarter and we continue to see exceptionally strong trading and, as I said, an acceleration in the mature countries. So we believe it's a balanced view. Um, yeah, Adam, if I got your question right, you're interested in uh, the bridge from a lower operating margin to the same or the lower end of the net income in absolute. And there are largely three factors, and I know it's not easy to model that in, in, in your respective models given all the currencies and market mix. But the first thing, the most important one, is the FX component. There's definitely more tailwind on the top line to have an absolute higher net sales given the you know, strong dollar and strong RMB. That leads, of course, to a lower operating margin as a percentage and to a higher absolute net income you know, on the bottom line. That's the first you know, factor. And, of course, as significant the decline is in China, it has an impact on the tax rate mix as well. So we have a more favorable tax rate overall given the lower profitability in China. And then, certainly, we take a harder look at some of the prior year the tax accruals that we have, uh, whether we can uh, you know, look at these and have an opportunity um, releasing some of these in 22. These are the three factors, but the most important one is the FX. That's great. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Anita Sherman from Bernstein. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for taking my questions. Um, I have two questions, please. So, Casper, you've answered the question several times on what makes you bullish from 2022. Um, let me ask it a different way. So you, you've lowered your FY um, sales guide by about $200 million if you go from the midpoint to the bottom end of the guidance range, yet the change in guidance for China is maybe about three to four times that amount, depending on what we, what we assume. So I'm curious why the guidance isn't lower for the full year. I, I know you just talked about, in answering Adam, you talked about the acceleration you're seeing in Q2. Um, are you saying that you're now more bullish than you were two months ago? on the Western markets. Um, and then my second question is on Foot Locker. Um, Foot Locker, as, as I understand, has also signed an exclusive deal for Puma's basketball line and continues to have more than 50% exposure to Nike. So how do you see your partnership as different from what Foot Locker has with other competitors? Thank you. So, you know, we are more, more optimistic in the other markets, and that's why we continue to see, we've continued to see a very strong order book. And as I said, our order book is up 20% uh, year over year, and uh, that is above the guidance for the other markets. So right now we're looking upon, and of course, our, you know, our confidence built by the order book and the feedback we get consistently from our wholesale partners across the board. Uh, that, is, that is number one. Uh, number two is that, you know, we are clear number two within Foot Locker. We are dramatically improving our basketball offering to a level which I think uh, maybe only one other company in the industry has, and all, with all due respect, uh, you know, the size of our basketball business and that of Puma uh, is, is different, if I have to say it uh, politely. We're dedicating a you know, product team. We are getting significant amount of space, and if you look upon the size of the business we're striving toward, that is positioning us with a very, very clear number two and a very strong market share expansion through dedicated teams, dedicated products. 
and, and using Foot Locker as a primary destination for basketball, and as I said, with the Jerry Lorenzo offering, we have an extremely strong product offering coming out off-court and on-court. Great. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Susanna Push from UBS. Please go ahead. Um, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my questions. Um, so my first question is, um, again, on, on the outlook. Uh, I mean, you expected double-digit sales growth in H2, as you mentioned the, uh, in the presentation, over 20% growth. So, and I understand this is, I mean, it's supported by your uh, order book, but would you be able to tell us maybe a little bit more about the timing of the various product launches or marketing campaign uh, to specifically support it? Is there anything sort of big we can expect to, to kind of get more confidence on that? Uh, so that's my first question. Uh, and the second question is on, again, on also your partnership with Food Locker. So uh, as per the press release, you mentioned that you expected to generate uh, over $2 billion in revenue and retail sales by 2025. Um, and there's a $100 million benefit this year. Uh, but would you be able to tell us maybe a little bit more beyond 2022? I mean, should we expect some sort of, you know, calculation we can make that this that the kind of additional um, revenue from that will be equally split over the following years, or is this something that is going to maybe accelerate with, with time? Uh, so any incremental color on that would uh, would help. And if I may just ask, I know it's two questions, but it's just a follow-up. I mean, uh, the, there was benefit uh, income from, from the rebook divestment in, in Q1 um, of roughly $20 million. Is this just it, or should we expect anything later in the year? Thank you. Now, as you look upon the footlocker deal, you can see we're tripling that, you know, the business over, you know, over the three years, and, and uh, that is we don't give a timing of it. Of course, the timing will be... Uh, you know, we'll guide annually on, but our care objective is to triple it with the 100 million incremental this year, and that's really the guidance we're going to give on that. We will not give any further insight to marketing campaign and product launches. I think we have spoken about in my presentations with capsule launches of, uh, of sportswear and scaling that with launches of Gucci and scaling that and with uh, Fear of God and our basketball launch coming by, you know, the second half of the year. That's the only detail we want, we will want to give at this stage simply for competitive reasons. Yeah, and to emphasize, quite honestly, that's why we had all this innovation day. We were seeing many of these products that are hitting not just the second half, but also going into 23. So, and again, the confidence is built with what we're getting from our retailers and the order book. So I think everything has been uh, said about this one. Uh, on the Reebok, indeed, we always said 70% of the stranded cost from in 21 uh, will be seen as another income. We have the first 20 million in March, and you can then you know, calculate it through. I mean, there's, there's more coming in Q3, Q3, and then Q4. And Q2 and Q3 will be similar. And then Q4, you know, some of the business has been handed over um, uh, to new owners. Um, so it will be slightly different probably in Q4. But overall, you can assume that 70% of the stranded cost from 21 will be seen in other income. Excellent. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Grace Molly from JP Morgan. Please go ahead. Hi, um, thank you. Um, I guess firstly, when you think about the demand for your category in general, are there any factors that make you think the demand for athletic footwear and apparel is more resilient relative to other consumer categories if we do go into an environment where consumer budgets are, are being materially squeezed, or, or how do you think about that? 
Um, and then my second question would just be also um, on the Asia-Pac region. Could you comment in more detail in terms of what's driving those declines in Q1 and also what you expect to drive the inflation in revenue growth um, in Q2 onwards? Thank you. If you start with the latter part, it's very clear lockdowns and travel restrictions. That has been very prominent in the first quarter across almost every country in, in, in Asia, and that is now starting to open up. There's still certain countries where you're lockdown, but that has been very prominent across uh, across the board. Uh, and of course, the, you know, the first part of your question is we do believe that uh, athleisure continues to be a very resilient category because people still want to go out, still want to start uh, you know exercising, still want to be you know part uh, take part in sport. And we do think that we're in a category that's characterized as an affordable luxury, and that's why we think it will continue to be more resilient. And maybe, maybe as, you know, on a question I was asked this morning, the Netflix question, you know, a lot of people have been sitting in lockdown. We still, you know, we still think that everybody has come out. A lot of people are coming out. I think people are sick and tired of sitting in front of a screen and watching television all the time. And I think some of the spend will go to at leisure and activewear categories because people want to start having a normal life again. Thank you very much. Question is Moran of Cedric Castle from Seville. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. Most of the questions have been asked, but I have two remaining. The first one on a remark you had about traffic at the end of 2022 in China, expected even if you have the end of the, of the lockdowns, you said it will be uh, materially below pre pandemic. How long do you think it would take? For the situation to normalize, especially for working demand in China, that's the point number one. And point number two, regarding the overall uh, occasion of putting this market, do you think this market has evolved uh, in such a way that it's very different from what it was in 2008, 2009, where we had a real downturn in, uh, in demand uh, given a much tougher macro situation? There's no crystal ball for what's going to happen in the coming quarters. I think speculating when you're going to return to something uh, different is, is an illusion. I think that the spend is more important than, than the traffic, and I think that the spend will, will come back. But I think, I think that uh, the speculation, when you know, human nature will start changing around again, what we are seeing in China is you are seeing you know, a significant declining in traffic, even in countries that are not closed down. And I think it will take a while uh, until people get a uh, comfortable situation. Um, and uh, so, so, so that is one, and that's why I think the important part is that we need to focus on what we can control, and we can control 80% of the business outside China. There are many things we can control within China, and what we are not going to do is we're not going to socialize the Chinese problem to the rest of the world. What we are going to do is we're going to try to figure out how we do whatever we can to double down on accelerating the growth and executing the order book, and that's why we said we're not going to kill operating overhead because it might look good in one quarter, but frankly, you know, I think that the consistent message from you and the consistent message from us is we want to drive growth, in, and that's why we focus on controlling what we can do and then playing office in the market, or you can say differently in football language, playing offensive in the markets that you control and playing defensive in the markets where you're less, you know, where you're less in control, and that, that is going to be the, the Chinese strategy. When it comes to, you know, the, you know, significant impact of the economy. I still think that you know, China at this stage is in a very difficult, different position in 2008 and 2009. Not only the size of the economy is completely different, but also the diversification of the you know, economy. So we'd assume that it's going to be more resilient. Thank you. 
It was more about North America and Europe, actually. It was about the state of the market versus uh, 10 or 15 years ago. I think that if you look upon North America and Europe right now, look upon the unemployment, or lack of the same. It's, it's, you know, I know the interest rate is going up, but like, you know, unemployment, unemployment is extremely low. I don't think that for us we're going to end up in that position, but that's our assumption. And I would probably add to that, Cedric, if I may, that you know we've we've talked a lot about many of the trends that we're observing in our industry, being uh, be it higher sports participation, be it its leisure, having been accelerated as a result of the pandemic that we've gone through. That's clearly something you know that we're seeing in in many markets that the consumers uh, coming out of uh, the pandemic with a lot of savings, uh, willing to socialize, willing to travel. And this, in combination with those structural trends, makes us optimistic about uh, the spending and the development uh, in the Western markets. The next question is from the line of Urban Rambo from HSBC. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi, good afternoon, gentlemen, and, and thanks for the very thorough presentation. So, so two questions, um, please. Uh, you made a really interesting comment around um, hitting records in terms of selling at full price, uh, notably in the U.S., if I got that right. Um, and you're implying more than 20% uh, growth in H2. So I'm just wondering, how do you balance the risk, the arbitrage of a risk of a, an overhang and, and maybe not uh, being able to maintain uh, a sort of elevated uh, portion of uh, full price sales? You know, uh, in other words, have you sufficiently cut uh, the wholesale orders to ensure you don't move from a scarcity of product to a glut of, of product uh, that you'll have to deal with. That's my first question. Second question, very interesting partnership with Foot Locker, um, you know, focusing on a lot of different products, but also um, uh, on the basketball category. Uh, with the launch of sportswear and the segmentation of products that you outlined during the innovation day, I'm just wondering, are there other partnerships that could be coming? Could you be looking at another uh, distributor uh, with whom you would, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just making this up, but you would uh, announce a, a football-specific, uh, you know, leadership partnership or, or something along those lines? Thank you. So let me start with the last question, and, and Ham will start with the first one. You know, clearly what we are seeing, we are seeing a, a increased growth within our strategic partners. And uh, so we're seeing a consolidation of the landscape, which is also what we're striving towards. And, of course, it would be a natural extension of doing exactly what we're doing. I think the important part is that we have a logical segmentation of whom we do what with. Uh, and as I expressed in my presentation, we're seeing a very strong development with, with Dix, with Coles, and, and with JD, to mention a few, and online, of course, with ASOS and Zalando. So, of course, the more we can segment that, uh, that is not... Uh, that is not an unrealistic expectation for the future. But uh, right now, we're not speculating in the future. We're trying to execute the order book and, and get the footlocker relationship up to an accelerated level. And I can tell you both, Dick and I are very excited about the, the relationship and the focus on it. I, again, I spoke to him yesterday. And Warren uh, has done a tremendous job of really building, uh, along with Brian, the portfolio. So we're very you know, you know, supportive of that and excited about that. And what come next, come next. Yeah, and you asked an interesting question on the full price venture, and of course we are pretty excited about what we are seeing right now in a non-promotional environment, but uh, we are also not naive. We understand that in the second half, you know, not just us, but other brands are unconstrained from a supply point of view, 
Uh, we understand inflation is coming. We understand that we are not the only ones raising the prices. So that's why it's really important that, on the one hand, we're not surprised about it, so we've got to manage it. And uh, what we are managing is focusing on sell-through. So we have a lot of data intelligence that we focus on. We understand, you know, what is selling. Uh, we have better data analytics that we build in our D2C business. Of course, we can control prices better the higher our share in D2C is. And, of course, as customers said earlier, we cleansed our order book as well. We don't accept every order. So we are reviewing these as well, how realistic these orders are. And then we need to manage it month by month. We've got to stay agile. But we also don't want to miss out the opportunity, you know, bringing new markets, um, uh, bringing new products into the market, whether it's in our basketball offering, whether it's the sportswear. So, again, um, the order book is not a, a loose commitment. It's a solid commitment. Of course, it can slightly change, but it's not fundamentally changing. Um, and that's why we are so optimistic going to the second half. But a lot of that is based on, first, knowing what could happen, and then, secondly, managing it, you know, month by month and week by week. Thank you. Best of luck. Thanks. The next question is Moana Fjordenkolb from Kepler Schiffel. Please go ahead. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Um, actually, uh, there's a similar question on, on your order book for the second half, so uh, I'll skip that one. Um, but on Footlocker, again, so I'll also not be very creative, but uh, Footlocker, how does that, that cooperation work? I mean, is there a a guaranteed volume that Footlocker has to, to take in? Is there a guaranteed selling space or shelf space that they're now guaranteeing uh, to Adidas? So how, how does that work uh, so that you can be so confident that you're, you're adding uh, this significant amount of revenues uh, to the top line? So Jürgen, before I go there, let me first uh, address probably the most important part for you. Congratulations on Frankfurt yesterday. <laughs> Thank so, you very uh, much. Was yeah. a bit, was a bit rough. Yeah. The likelihood that you will win is probably low because you're not playing in the three stripes, but it's good that you played not that far. Um, uh, on, on the footlocker relationship, uh, let me go back to uh, what I said on a number of calls we had uh, following the, you know, the annual uh, meeting, or the, you know, the annual results. You know, the important part is that uh, a relationship has to be mutually beneficial, and that means that we have to offer uh, an incremental product set to footlocker to ensure that, quote-unquote, that they have something that others won't have, and in return that we get a better and elevated shelf space and positioning within Foot Locker. That's really, if you were to oversimplify it, and that is what the relationship is about. And then, of course, we have mutually worked on a plan that uh, describes products, activities, launch activities, marketing activities on our side and from their side, what I just, you know, this, but, of, of course, also elevated product position that is amounts to a business plan. That business plan amounts to a buy, and we assume that buy is a realistic buy going towards the number that we're speaking about, and that has been agreed on both parties. Of course, eventually the buy will only come to fruition as soon as we sell it, but we don't sit and do these plans and don't think we're going to sell it. So there is a mutual obligation, but of course, there's no point of us selling too many products if they don't sell, but at the same time, if they say, well, we'll sell more. But it is a plan that is mutually agreed with numbers and activities and signed off on both sides in a very high level of detail. And now it's up to both sides to make certain it happens and, be, and being executed. Very good. Okay, doc. Thank you so much, guys, and all but, the best. But um, Jürgen, maybe since uh, we spoke on this, you know, I've been traveling quite a lot in the last couple of weeks, and those of you who want more proof points, I was in London. You know, today, I spent a lot of time also on the JD stores. Our product position today in a JD store compared to six and 12 months ago is night and day. And I think that's why we continue to also to be, you know, 
excited about it. And if you want to see it, just go down, you know, up for street and see the, you know, the position we have today compared to six months ago. And that's clearly a reflection of the improved products, that, but also the great relationship we have with the JD. Good news. Thanks. The next question is from the line of Elena Mariani from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Um, hi, good afternoon. Uh, I will speak to some questions as well. Um, my first one is a clarification on the gross margin dynamics by region in the first quarter. Um, when I look at the year-on-year -year development, uh, I think that um, some of the dynamics have been a bit counterintuitive. I think you've mentioned a very strong full price environment in North America, for example, and sales were up a lot versus your own expectations that gross margin was down, um, and uh, um, it was down a lot also in Latin America. So when you look at the development of the gross margin by region, could you clarify a little bit these moving parts? Uh, that would be very helpful. Um, and then my second question uh, goes back to, to China. Um, so did I understand correctly that uh, you would expect uh, Q2 to be still down around 35%, so in line with Q1, um, but then uh, the second half of the year to improve but remain in negative territory? So um, if you assume that the lockdowns are going to be pretty much over uh, by the end of Q2, um, why not expecting uh, a strong acceleration in the second half of the year, what makes you believe that you cannot go back to the expected growth that um, you, know, you were incorporating in your previous guidance? Uh, it was a bit unclear to me what your embedded outlook is for China in the second half. And then uh, final small clarification still on China. Um, so given the, the lockdowns and the excess, excess inventory, is there a risk of another large buyback uh, as the one that you have done uh, back in 2020 or um, you're not in, in a position to uh, to do something like that because you know the, the situation is a bit better versus uh, two years ago. Thank you. Well, lots of questions. Let me try to sort all of these. So, let's start with the gross margin by region. Um, uh, first and foremost, uh, I, I focus on some regions because there are, there are different reasons for it. So, in EMEA, first and foremost, of course, we have a positive development given the the hedge position that we have with the U.S. dollar to the euro. We always said that was the last year. So it's a positive development in EMEA from a gross margin point of view from the index. In North America, um, you would have expected a full-price sell-through. The gross margin looks better, but it's significantly impacted by air freight. You know, get the product into the market because the highest demand is really in North America for our products. So it's really impacted by air freight, first and foremost in the first quarter. It will be a little bit in the second quarter as well, but you see a significantly better gross margin in the second half in North America. And then Latin America, even though it's growing 38%, you would expect there's a higher gross margin. In Latin America, as currencies are very volatile, we are not hedging up to 80%, and we have very strong currencies there. So you really have an FX on a continuous base in Latin America that was impacting the first quarter. This is really the gross margin by, I would say, EMEA, you know, North America, um, and Latin America and the China and APEC is, is you know, balancing each other out from a cross-margin percentage point of view. In China, you actually uh, heard it correctly. We said in Q2 it will be a similar decline uh, in China versus uh, you know, Q1, so you can assume another 35% decline, which would mean the first half is down by 35%. And then we said we're not going to grow in the second half. We say it will be around flattish in the second half, this, what we believe is sequential improvement, still being negative in the third quarter, but also turning positive then in the fourth quarter. And we should not forget um, we had been 24% down in the fourth quarter, 21 already, so definitely easy comes. And I really want to make it very clear as well, 
we are not talking about geopolitical tension anymore. We have a reset based on geopolitical tension. Q1 was still an impact from that. Uh, that was down. But now we are talking solely about lockdowns. This is the only reason why we changed the guidance in China. It is lockdown-related. The last question, and I hope I covered all of it, can it be as bad from a you know, returns of products as in 2020? I would say no. Um, in the assumptions that we have, that we are flattish in the second half and that we are not significantly impacted by lockdowns of a lot of cities in the second half, we believe it's a more a normal course of business supporting our you know, franchise partners with some of the takebacks. That's what we you know, started doing Q1. We will continue to do Q2. That's why it's you know, 35% down again, around 35%. So takebacks will be part of it. But we always know we can sell in less, but we also need to support our franchise partners. But that is a little bit more than normal course of business given the situation that we're in. But we largely believe we are somewhat more back to normal in the second half. That's why we believe flattish is a assumption in an uncertain environment. That's really where we are. Very clear. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. Thanks, Elena. Uh, Natalie, we have time for two more questions. Okay, thank you. Our next question is from the line of David Rue from Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hi, Jens. Good afternoon, and um, thanks for the insights. I just had two financial questions, both on both on margin. I think, firstly, I'd just like to better understand the OPEX investments um, this year. Um, I think your your targets for the year loosely imply that you should achieve some operating leverage. Um, for the full year. I'd just like to understand which cost lines you think this will come from, given that you absorbed a bit of OPEX in, in one queue. And then the second is on, on gross margins. Um, am I correct in assuming some of the initiatives in China to, to rectify the excess inventory will be a bit of a gross margin headwind this year? And if I'm incorrect, um, where is it reflecting your gross margin bridge for 22? Is that in pricing or sourcing? Thank you. No, it's really from a gross margin percentage. I'll start with the second question, um, David. From the gross margin percentage, taking back the product doesn't really change anything gross margin. It just changed the absolute net sales and the absolute margin, but not the percentage. That's why you don't see it in the bridge from a percentage point of view. And then secondly, on the OPEX, uh, we definitely had planned to have leverage for the full year, given now the new guidance of China and not compromising on our growth and investment in the other markets. Um, you're probably not seeing a lot of leverage. We still need to go through some of these, you know, puts and takes, but what we're investing into is definitely supporting the growth in our, you know, growth markets in the Western world. Keep investing in our digital infrastructure and our, you know, digital proposition, especially in e-commerce, but also on digital wholesale. And as we said before, you know, leveraging through, you know, GBS, uh, uh, significant global business services, but we're also investing into our new infrastructure called S4HANA, so we're replacing our you know, apparel and footwear solution, SVP, with the latest on S4HANA. Um, that is an investment that we do not want to stop and compromise given China, because that is bigger for the company than just China. That's really what the investment goes in. And I'm not sure you talk about just operating overhead or OPEX overall. We will also keep investing into marketing. And again, with the drag on China on the top line, uh, of course, leverage is more difficult there, but we will definitely take a look at that. Uh, depending on the overall development. Thank you. The last question is from the line of James Dinich from Jefferies. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. I choose two quick ones. The first one is, can you perhaps clarify what your full price ratio currently is? Very interesting. Thank you. 
And second one, um, also on trade rates, um, perhaps when, when did you hedge and when are those hedges lapsing, please? On the full price uh, sell-through, we don't, uh, you know, disclose any more details. So we mentioned a little bit about, uh, you know, what we do in North America on D2C. We have a good visibility, but when we talk about the overall company, it's just not reliable data that we have across all our wholesale accounts. So that's why we don't disclose that one. On freight rains, uh, uh, we are not really hedged. We have contracts with our, you know, forwarders. We have been somewhat protected last year with a contract that we had in place. And again, we have a new contract for this year. Um, but again, that's why we have been somewhat protected last year, and it's more pronounced this year because we hit, uh, you know, uh, fully compared to last year. But uh, again, there are different providers. We have different lengths of contracts, but we are not hedging. We are going into different lengths of contracts with our forwarders. And we believe 22 will still be a difficult year, not just from a comp point of view, but also overall freight rates. Um, and depending what's happening in China to overall supply change, so far we don't see an impact. We are very optimistic about uh, demand and supply going in balance again going into 23. So there should be, from a comp point of view, benefits you know, emerging in 23 compared to 22 when it comes to freight rates. Thank you, Arm. Can, can I just follow up on that point on freight rates? I appreciate it for some of many contracts. But would it be fair to assume that you broadly uh, refresh uh, those forward contracts at the end of 21 and that forward buy uh, covers most of 22? So you'll be looking at negotiating that at the end of this year. Is that fair? And that, that is correct. I mean, there would have been an option to lock something in with, with one of the partner for three years, but we said um, that they're agile. So but you're absolutely right. It's not in for this year. And then it's a new game going to next year. And we believe it will be more balanced. Thanks very much. Sure. Thanks very much, James. Uh, thanks very much, Natalie. And thanks very much also to Kasper and Harm. And of course, also thanks very much to all of you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our first quarter results conference call. As always, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to any member of the IR team or to myself. We're very much looking forward to being in touch with you over the next couple of weeks, either via phone or physically meeting you at some of our upcoming roadshows and conference attendances. And with that, all the best. Thanks very much again. Have a nice remainder of the day. Happy weekend and all the best. Ladies and gentlemen, the conference has now concluded. You may disconnect your telephone. Thank you for joining and have a pleasant day. Goodbye.